And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Daniel Mendorf. Joining me in the studio today is Dr. John Vance. Hello. And on the phone is the Reverend Kevin Sherrod, pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Tennessee. Good to be with you, Dan. Well, gentlemen, it's nice to have you here. You know, um, several weeks back, we began a discussion on the sacraments. And uh, there's lots more good stuff to talk about related to the sacraments. And so we thought that we would continue the discussion today. And uh, some of this may be review, but that is okay, because this is just so important. Um, First of all, a simple question, and that is, why should we even be talking about sacraments? Well, they're mentioned in Scripture, though not the Word is mentioned in Scripture, but we clearly have uh, signs and seals of the covenant in the Old Testament, uh, circumcision, of course, being very prominent uh, as a sign of the covenant in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we have baptism discussed in many passages and places, and we have, of course, the Lord's Supper set forth uh, sometimes in extended uh, passages in the New Testament, I'm thinking of 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, where the Lord's Supper uh, appears throughout those two chapters. And Kevin, um, what would you say the definition of a sacrament is? Well, there are signs and seals, as John said, of God's covenant of grace uh, that he's instituted with us. Um, and they're, in the New Covenant, instituted immediately by Jesus Christ. They represent him and his, his benefits, and they mark us off uh, from the world, and they engage us um, in the service of God, in, in, mm-hmm. as Christ's disciples. And so, um, signs and seals of the covenant, God's gracious covenant with us, instituted by Jesus Christ, to communicate to us his benefits. Well, you know, when I hear you describe it that way, and I agree with you, um, it makes you think... Um, this is uh, kind of a no-brainer, and um, all churches would uh, observe this. But let me just at least ask that question. Um, do all churches uh, employ sacraments? Not really. Uh, it's interesting. We have a whole spectrum of, of practices with respect to the sacraments. There are actually groups that do not believe in administering sacraments or having a sacramental ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the Salvation Army, um, and uh, there are some other groups in history that have not employed the sacraments, but they don't use the sacraments. And then, of course, there are other uh, traditions that is wholly sacramental, uh, maybe uh, understanding the sacraments in such a way and employ them that I think goes beyond what you would find in Scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we covered this last time, but probably it do us well to review again. The scriptures, if we take the scriptures alone, um, then we would um, come away with um, the notion that there are two sacraments. There are. There are two sacraments instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ. He himself uh, uh, instituted them. They're recorded in the scripture. And the two, of course, are baptism and the Lord's Supper. I I think, though, some people do get troubled by the use of the word sacrament since it does not appear in Scripture, and I believe that uh, you all discussed that in an earlier uh, program. But let me just say a word about that. We do use words sometimes that don't appear 
in the scriptures that describe what takes place. The word sacrament uh, means to pledge. It was a pledge or an oath that uh, a Roman soldier would take uh, to the Caesar. But in the New Testament, when we use the word sacrament, uh, we not only, uh, what we describe in the New Testament, it's more important not so much that we pledge ourselves to God, but under these signs and seals, God pledges himself to us. Mm. Uh, And they are attached to the word. We talk about the ministry of word and sacrament. His word comes to us. His sacramental action comes toward us. And it's more important to understand what God is pledging himself to through his Mm -hmm. son, Jesus Christ. It certainly uh, fills out the ministry of the church. It just, in my mind, it it wouldn't be a full-fledged ministry if we were to ignore baptism, if we were to ignore the Lord's Supper. They remind us the sacraments, I think, as um, as sacraments of the Word, they are perpetual reminders that that Word has become flesh, yeah. and that God saves us in our embodiment by a concrete embodied means. Even preaching is in an embodied way, through, through an embodied minister, through, through sound waves, etc., through words, through speech, uh, of saving men. And so part of the difficulty we have with sacraments is... Um, a kind of anti-incarnational approach to Christianity that is somehow able to sever the sacraments from the incarnation of the Word. But the sacraments are there to remind us that Christ really died, mm-hmm. and that baptism unites us to that death, and that uh, the Supper allows us to commune with the body and blood of the crucified and risen Christ. That falls nicely from some of the points we were making last week on this program about the incarnation, doesn't it? There is... Um I know one of the confessions talks about a sacramental union between the sign and the thing signified. What 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 does that language what is that language getting at as as I read that? It's uh it's it's quite uh uh robust there, uh that <laughs> language and let let me um emphasize something about it that sometimes maybe uh, those who read the Bible and love the scripture most might be a little shocked or appalled at. But uh, in the confession you are referring to, it says that you can call uh, what is signified uh, by the sign, you can actually call it that name, so Mm -hmm. that when you receive the bread and receive the cup, you can say that you're receiving the body and blood of Christ in a sacramental way. And um, that probably leads, uh, and, and Kevin is quite good in this area, that probably leads to a discussion of uh, what is the nature of the communion that we have in the New Testament, we have several words for what we're talking about. Uh, we, we speak of the Lord's Supper, for instance, but it's also called a Eucharist or a giving of thanks. It's also called a communion. We truly commune with Christ uh, through these signs and seals in a special sacramental way. Therefore, they're, they're not indifferent. They're, they're very important. I think of the, the first point John made between the, 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 the link, the relationship between the sign and the thing signified is such that while they're distinguished, um, you can never separate the two, and you can even speak of the one in terms of the other, as, as he said, thus Jesus can hold up the bread and say, this is my body. Mm-hmm. I, I think of um, the covenant with Abraham, I believe it's in Genesis 17, where God tells Abraham in the same passage I will put my covenant in your flesh, 
And then a few verses later says, um, I will put the sign of my covenant or circumcision in your flesh. So that God can speak of the sign of the covenant as if it were the covenant. Mm-hmm. So sometimes circumcision is, is a shorthand way of saying the covenant with Abraham. In the same way, the body of Christ uh, is a shorthand way of saying the thing set forth in the bread, in the Lord's Supper. So this is a biblical way of speaking, this way of using language. There's a real relationship between the, the, the pledge of Christ's body, which he holds out to us, and his actual body, and thus the term John used of communion, koinonia. We, we, Paul says we have real communion in 1 Corinthians 10. You know, is not uh, the bread which we break a communion in the body of Christ? Is not the, the cup with which we bless, is it not a communion with the blood of Christ? So there can be no escaping from the fact that these are not mere memorials or mere aids to our piety, but that we really communicate and commune with the humanity of Jesus Christ by faith through the mysterious power of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is a a, a crucial point. Of course, that the Holy Spirit is invoked at the Lord's Supper is very, very important. uh, For uh, this is through the Spirit that this power and this sacrament uh, becomes what it is. It's not something from the human side that we add to or make. It comes not only from God's promise, but is uh, made so by God's Spirit. Uh, we truly receive Christ. Um, the word uh, the word koinonia also can be translated as to share in or to partake in or of. The word uh, communion means fellowship, and when we offer each other uh, the handshake, we, we are giving each other the right hand of fellowship. Mm. And in a real sense, I see the sacraments as God's uh, true fellowship with us through his son, Jesus Christ. And we feast upon him and his benefits by faith, and we truly feast upon him and his benefits. So therefore, it's not a thing indifferent. It is something necessary uh, to the ministry. Mm. It is also our great privilege, isn't it, <laughs> oh, to come yeah, to the yeah. table? Amen. There's you know, another dimension here, Dan, uh, that I think this this word of, of communion uh, brings out, and that is, and this may be something, uh, it may play into why in our individualistic culture the sacraments tend to be downplayed, and that is there's not just a communion with Jesus Christ in them, but, but, but with one another in the body of Christ. Um, they're corporate, the sacraments. We're baptized into Christ, but also into his body. And we are communing not only with Christ, but with one another. Paul says, mm-hmm. you know, we are one, for we all partake of one loaf. Um, the Eucharist not only is a symbol of the unity of the Church, it helps sustain it and create it, and, and strengthen it. The, the, the church fathers used to say, the Eucharist creates the church. And that's odd language, I think, to some of our ears, but they simply meant what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, that we are all one body because we all partake of one loaf. Mm-hmm. We are the fellowship of the saints, uh, and yeah. the reason that we are is that we take part of the communal or fellowship meal which sets forth Christ. We truly share him as we share in one another's lives. But he is the one who makes the communion, and he is the one who makes the fellowship. It now, is his body. Now I see we're up against uh, a break here. This is a plain answer. 
right here on Redeemer Broadcasting. Gentlemen, after the break, I'd like to come back and talk a little bit more about uh, the grace that is exhibited in or by the sacraments when they're properly administered. Stay with us. We'll be right back on the other side. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today, Dr. John Vance, and on the phone, the Reverend Kevin Sherritt. Today we're talking about sacraments. It's the second in this uh, series of discussions. And uh, before we took the break, I uh, asked you fellows if um, now we could follow up a little bit talking about um, the grace which is truly exhibited uh, in or by the use of these sacraments. Uh, Kevin, maybe you can start us off. The um, the Puritans, interestingly enough, um, framed a confession uh, known as the Westminster Confession of Faith. And the reason I bring this up is these are the types of people who had the type of theology that the founders of America did. Mm-hmm. And so this is not an, you know, from an American point of view, this is not a idiosyncratic or a little minority opinion. This was their opinion, and in their section on the sacraments, they speak of, you know, through the right use of this ordinance, the grace which is promised is not only offered, but really set forth and conferred, conferred by the Holy Spirit uh, according to the counsel of God's own will. Hmm. Uh, Now, it's interesting, right, that they felt that in the sacrament of baptism, the grace that is symbolized there, exhibited there, is actually conferred there by the Spirit 
to faithful receivers. And that view uh, was the dominant view of the of the sorts of people who uh, founded the early American colonies. Hmm. Very interesting. Grace and truth, the scripture says, came through Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that it does, and this is, uh, it comes through, of course, through the Word. Uh, when I went to seminary, we had a, a, a class called Word and Sacraments. Now, they go together, and surely as grace uh, is promised through the Word, it certainly is promised and offered in the sacraments, for they go together. In some ways, if we go back to Augustine, he called sacraments visible words. Hmm. And grace is truly offered uh, in Christ and his benefits, and it goes on, the Westminster Confession does, and it's a beautiful document that Kevin is referring to. It says that these things put a difference between us and the world. Yes. And uh, so God has his grace reserved for his people. It's saving grace. That's why they're called sacraments. They actually are saving institutions. Uh, it is through his word and his sacramental presence that we are sanctified and set apart and redeemed in salvation. It's a beautiful picture in the scriptures. And you know, uh, and you do know, <laughs> um, this thing of putting a difference between us and the world, uh, we may not see it so much here in the States, but John, you're kind of an expert in world religions. Can you tell us what happens, let's say, in Muslim countries when a person is converted to Jesus Christ and they receive um, the sacrament of baptism. Well, of course, uh, I, I can give one concrete example in Egypt where Coptic Christians and others, there are a number of evangelical Christians, by the way, in Egypt, particularly in the mm-hmm. Cairo area that are international people who, who live and work there. Uh, the, you know, the, the Quran and the Hadith in Islam say a lot about Jesus. But, of course, they do not present the biblical Jesus but the real crucial matter is that you can talk about Jesus as a prophet all you want, but the minute that you identify him as the redeemer of God's people and that we identify with him through baptism, that becomes actually in some countries that are under Sharia or partial Sharia, that becomes a capital crime. Mm. You can lose your life. A, a Muslim can lose their life if they are baptized into the Christian faith. Now, they take that baptism seriously. They do. Unfortunately, many American evangelicals do not. Mm. This is tied to um, what the Reformation traditions called um, the ordinary means of grace. There's a certain ordinariness about the regular preaching ministry and the regular setting forth of the table and the distribution of the elements to commune with the body and blood of Christ, just like there's a certain ordinariness about your household speech and your household meals. But these are the ways um, that a household communes and encourages one another, and these are the ordinary ways in which God has instituted to give grace and build up his people. And where they're neglected, I think you end up with a craving for some extraordinary thing. And whatever we might believe about, um, you know, visions and dreams and various miracles, God is free to do what he wants, of, of course. And, and um, you don't have to take a particular position on that to recognize that those are not the ordinary way that God has established for the church to be built up and to be sanctified in the faith. And so, in, in many ways, going back to word and sacrament is just going back to meat and potatoes 
and it, it helps deliver the church from an unwholesome fascination with, you know, either, um, you, you know, some extraordinary sort of uh, uh, vision or revelation or the like. Mm-hmm. Uh, an ordinary ministry of word and sacrament tamps down, if you will, this uh, curiosity for the strange. Mm-hmm. Mystical. And, and mystical. And, and uh, that's where a lot of people go, trying to fulfill themselves spiritually. But a church that truly centers upon what I will call the heard word and the visible word, which presents the living word, uh, I think the scripture is clear. That is all we need. I don't see Paul going back and recommending anything more when he faces a church problem in Galatians or Colossians or Ephesians. He always takes them back to the foundation. And the foundation, of course, uh, is that that foundation, Christ and his benefits, are presented to us through the heard word, the preaching, uh, the written word, the scriptures, and the visible word, the sacraments, mm. because they all present the living word. And they're all bound together. I think here of Paul's statement in in 1 Corinthians 11, where he says, uh, in the context of he's reiterating the the institution, the, the words of institution that our Lord gave on the night he was betrayed, and he, he repeats those words there, and then he adds his own comment, and he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you preach uh, the Lord's death until he comes. So in that sense, the visible word, as John has called the sacraments, are a, they're the gospel in visible mm-hmm. form. They're a proclamation. You cannot tear um, the word from the sacrament. You know, there's a wonderful uh, passage there in 1 Corinthians 10, and, and I would like just to read uh, a few verses from that passage where Paul is discussing the Lord's Supper before he gets to chapter 11, which Kevin just quoted. And uh, these are the words that we find in the Scripture. And let me uh, start. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the same loaf. Mm. That is a powerful passage. It keeps us from the curiosity. It keeps us from the demonic realm this is the way we are fed and strengthened and built up. Truly, grace is offered through word and sacrament. Hmm. Well, what, what, is, uh, what stands out to me in the passage John read is that, that the supper is used as a safeguard uh, in Paul's polemic against idolatry. Mm-hmm. He, he says you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. That shows how central Paul saw that cup that table. It was a seal which binds you in a sort of marital union of fidelity to the risen Lord and, and requires a forsaking of idolatry. There's idolatry on the one hand, and there's communion with Christ at the supper on the other. And uh, it's, it's uh, in some ways a shame that there are ministries, churches, that play down the role of the sacraments when in fact it's clear that Paul here is attempting to emphasize them and play them up. Hmm. Do you think that the uh, sacraments enhance uh, unity amongst the body of Christ? 
when they're associated with uh, discipline, they're to be administered, of course, by the church and not by private individuals. And and mm-hmm. even in the church, when they administer sacraments, they're not to do it privately. This is a common meal. This is a this is a service. This is something we do together. We mm-hmm. participate in mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. When you in that same passage that John was reading, and if you go on into chapter eleven. You know, Paul is um, sorting out a lot of the um, disorder that the Corinthians had at the Lord's table. But in sorting that out, he makes the statement, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. You know, each one yeah. comes together to do his own. But the, but the implication of that is that the Lord's Supper is something you should do when we come together, when you're assembled together as a church. The Supper is a corporate meal and it is thus not the private property of individual Christians. In there also, if I may be so bold, I think there's the implication that it should be celebrated often. Clearly. I I think you're right. right. Hey, I see we're up against um, the end of this program already, time-wise. So, gentlemen, uh, thank you for your comments today. Uh, Kevin, can you give us just one wrap-up thought before the end? Well, I think when Jesus chooses to sum up his whole ministry as the Son of Man, as the suffering servant, and as the Messiah, at the very end of his earthly life, on the night that he was betrayed, and he tends, and he does that intentionally by taking this bread and this cup and instituting the Lord's Supper and tells us, do this in remembrance of me, he has essentially given us a way to memorialize or remember him and commune with him, and also, as the rest of Scripture makes clear, anticipate the great coming wedding feast of the Lamb. We didn't get mm-hmm. to talk about this today, but the sacraments are a foretaste of the wedding supper of the Lamb, of the coming kingdom. That's why Paul can say, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. <laughs> and that shows you the immense importance of the sacraments for the life of the Church until the end of the world. If there are four dimensions one of space and three of time, past, present, and future. Uh, The Lord's table fulfills all of those dimensions. First of all, we're using earthly elements. Uh, The dimension, the material world of space. Moreover, it speaks to us of the past. Christ did something for us. It Mm -hmm. speaks to us of the present. He's truly communing with us and feeding us upon himself. And it speaks of the future, that he's coming again. Yes, praise be to God. Gentlemen, we're out of time. Thank you so much for your comments today. This has been A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. Please contact us with your comments or questions using our email address of ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. In the studio with me today, Dr. John Vance on the phone, the Reverend Kevin Sherritt. Please tune our way next week at this same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. 